Our sermon text this morning is from Leviticus chapter 7, verses 28 through 38. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hands shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the breast he shall bring, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron, Aaron's and his sons. Also the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part. For the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I have taken from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings. And I have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons from the children of Israel by a statute forever. This is the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons from the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations, and the sacrifice of the peace offering which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day when he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Let's pray. O Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for providing for your people. We thank you, God, for giving us instruction on how we should worship and serve you. Lord, we do pray that you would give us ears to hear today. We pray that you would help us to understand the things that you would have us to take from this passage and apply to our lives. Lord, you pray that you would help us to see the ways that we have failed to serve you, and that you would give us grace, that we would be able to, to minister in your name. Lord, you pray that you would be with uh, Roger as he proclaims your word. We pray that you would give him strength, that you would give him wisdom, and you would help him to utter the things that you have for us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we're finishing up this first section of Leviticus, so to speak, chapters 1 through 7. The first seven chapters are didactic, uh, teaching about the five major offerings. So God is is, um, instructing his people on what to do and how to do it. And if you remember, the first several chapters were the instructions to the people and how they should bring their offerings and how those offerings should be done. And then this last sort of chapter six and seven, starting after the first part of chapter six, are more instructions for the priests. So the next three chapters after this will go to a narr- will go to narrative. We'll have um, we'll get a. a a description of things that are actually happening, and then much of the rest of the book will be didactic again. And so this last section, and it's actually the longest section uh, of the offerings, deals with the peace offering. And this is the only sacrifice in which the worshipers partake in the sacrifice. 
of the sacrifice, excuse me, they partake of the sacrifice. And what's happening here is they're celebrating peace with God. It's God, the worshiper, and the priests share a celebration. This feast that comes from the product of the peace offering. And this celebration isn't just a relief. It's not just, oh, okay, I've appeased my God for now, and I'll be okay for a little while longer until I have to appease him again. This is celebrating peace with God. And it's celebrating God's blessings. And God's blessings, if you remember, as we've talked about, there are blessings, peace with God in terms of blessing the world that carry on to other things. We might think of it almost as common grace. And then the peace of those who are truly at peace with God, the elect, those who've got, who God has chosen. And then we, it also ta- we're also going to be talking about God's provision for those who serve him. So before we move on into some of the details here, there's a a lot going on in regards to the peace offering. We talked about, we initially talked about the peace offering. It was uh, in Exodus 29. It documents God's instruction to Moses in terms of how you should do the peace offering. And then in Leviticus 3, it talked again about um, the priest instruction. And now here we have more instruction around the peace offering. So I want to provide a framework of actually the, the order of operation. What's, what's actually happening when an Israelite in that time would bring their peace offering in and do it. And hopefully this gives you some framework to think about the, the, what God is showing us through here. So how it would start is the worshiper would bring their animal in to the to um, towards the tabernacle and lay their hands on it on it and slaughter it in front of the priest. So Leviticus three two, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So that would happen, and as the animal is being slaughtered, the priest would be there and collect the blood in a basin. So you've got to you've got to get the the blood out of the animal. They would collect that blood. Once the blood is collected, the priest would sprinkle the blood around the altar. That blood is offered to God. Leviticus three two. Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. The next thing that would happen is then the worshiper would then need to butcher that animal. Remember, we're not just taking whole animals and putting them on there. They would have to go through the process of butchering that animal, which takes time and effort. Once it's butchered, the entrails, organs, the fat around the organs and or the tail, depending on the type of uh, fat around the tail, depending on the type of animal, those are removed and those are offered to God. Those are burned. So depending on the animal... If the animal were from the herd, so a cow or an oxen, the entrails are offered as a sacrifice. They're burned on the offering. So Leviticus 3, 3 through 5. 
Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. The two kidneys and the fat is on them by the flanks. And the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifices. Upon the burnt sacrifice. So that's if it's a a cow or an oxen. If it's a goat, that's described later in Leviticus 3, 14 through 16, it's basically the same entrails as for a cow or an oxen. So the same same thing again. And if it's from the flock, meaning a sheep or a ram, it would be all those entrails that we just described plus the fat tail. So... Leviticus 3.9, the whole fat tail, which, he'll, which he shall remove close to the backbone. And then the next thing, the worshiper would then designate part of the offering to the priests. And these are the choice portions of meat. So we'll talk about them in more detail here, but there's two parts here that are offered to the priests. The first is the breast. Um... That would be on a on a cow. It would be the front part. It would be the what we would call the brisket. Um, so a very choice piece of meat, and that was set aside as a wave offering. It was given to Aaron and his sons. So that was given to the priest. Um, and then the right thigh. So in the New King James, it translates that as shoulder. And looking at that closely, I think that that thigh is a much is a more accurate translation. And that if you think about that, if you think about cuts of meat that we have, the thigh would be the loin, the tenderloin. So again, a very um, choice piece of meat. And that would be the heave offering given, given to the priest who sprinkles the blood, the blood around the altar. And then lastly, the worshiper would get the rest of the animal for himself. And the rest of the animal he would have as a celebratory feast probably you know for him and family and extended family and others so verses 28 through 30 then the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the children of israel saying he who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the lord shall bring his offering to the lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering his own hands shall bring the offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the breast he shall bring, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. So when we start here in verse 29, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying. So again, these are instructions from God when Moses received the instructions on all the offerings on Mount Sinai. Again, those were the instructions for both worshipers and the priests on how and the how and the what of the offerings. And here what we have is, you know, more specific instructions in, in, in the latter parts of chapter six and, part, and parts of chapter seven. It was very more geared towards the instructions for the priests. And here we get more of a mix of. These are the instructions for the priest, but these are also the instructions for the worshiper or the offerer. 
And then again, very detailed instructions for the priests. Then he says, speak to the children of Israel, saying. So I think this is an important part we have to understand. Who, who is God addressing? And so in some of the other parts earlier, he says, he says, speak to the Aaron and the sons of Aaron. And here he's saying, speak to the children of Israel. And so there is clearly instruction, not just for the priests, but for the congregation. And so and what he's saying here. I think what he's implying here, what God is saying is saying, speak to the children of Israel Israel, and giving these details is if the offering is not got done correctly, not only the priest, but the offerer, the worshiper is also held accountable. So Ezekiel 3.18, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So we're called to point out unrighteousness, to point out iniquity. I think a good example of that specific to the priesthood is the sons of Eli. In Second Samuel, when the sons of Eli are not obeying the when they're, they're cheating the people, they're acting very unrighteously as they're in their role as acting as priests. And it says, if a man said to him, this is Second Samuel, uh, sorry, First Samuel, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And if a man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. And so what was happening is Eli's sons were taking, they were taking the fat. They weren't burning the fat as an offering. The fat was, is the savory part of the meat. It added a lot of flavor. And, and, you know, what it documents here is that people became... Um, it says they ab- abhorred the offering of the Lord. So rather than resenting the offering, what really what God had said before was that those worshipers had a duty to stop them. So let's remember our role in upholding righteousness. All of us here, it's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the elder's job. Each one of us in our daily lives, within our, within our families, within our church congregation within the world we live in. It's our job to uphold righteousness, to call out sin, to do it lovingly, but to call out sin. Then he who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord. So again, this, uh, who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering. So there's the peace offering that's coming up and then there's the, pieces that get set aside to the priest aside from that and if you remember the priest offering the peace offering from the last few weeks this applies to all types of the peace offering remember there was a a thanksgiving a vow and a voluntary offering so any of those types of peace offering this would apply to and when it says he who offers again this this is a this is talking about the individual 
the congregant who's bringing that peace offering to the to uh, the tabernacle. It says, "Shall bring his offering to the Lord for the sacrifice of his peace offering." So again, going back earlier into Leviticus three, and earlier in this chapter, if you remember, the peace offering is made up not just of the animal, but the three. There's three types of bread. Leviticus seven twelve, end of that verse. Unleavened cakes mixed with oil unleavened wafers anointed with oil or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. And then there was the offering along with the bread, the offering of the animal. So an animal in Leviticus 3.1, an animal from the herd, which we talked about earlier, that would be an ox or a cow. Or from the flock, Leviticus 3.6. Again, a lamb or a goat. So from the entirety of the worshiper's peace offering, part of this is the offering to the Lord. So you can think about it a little bit, um, you know, in the grain offering, we would often say the memorial portion for the Lord. There's the entire peace offering that's coming forward, and then part of that is his offering to the Lord. And that is the breast, the right thigh, the, right thigh, the entrails, and the fat are designated for the, to the Lord. And remember, the entrails and the fat are burned. And then the breast and the right thigh go to the priest. And the rest is for the worshiper, for that feast. Verse 30, his own hands shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord. This is prescribed in Leviticus 3.2. The worshiper brings and offers the sacrifice. We read part of this earlier. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meaning. So that means that he brings it. That he slaughters the animal. A wealthy worshiper was not allowed to have their slave bring their animal to be slaughtered. We think... We need to, he needed to bring that himself. He needed to do the dirty work, so to speak, of slaughtering and butchering the animal. And so when we think about how does that apply to us, when we worship, we can't delegate that to someone else. And I think, and you think about the ways that we worship and the ways that we can sometimes in our, in our hearts delegate that to someone else. Well, I'll just write a check. I'll just write a check and I don't have to do anything and I'll feel better about it because maybe I can afford it. And so I'll just write the check and tick the box or things that have to be done. Well, that's the pastor's job. That's the elder's job. We'll just leave it to them because that we're not, I'm not really equipped to do that. So we'll just have them do it. Um, You know, we should all think about the ways that we are tempted to do that. We're called to be sacrificially worshiping God, to be a living sacrifice. So let's consider the ways that we consider the ways that we worship God, that we serve God, and ensure that we are doing the part that we're called to do. And for the children here, just because your parents are saved, 
because they have true peace with God, that doesn't mean that you do. Our peace with God is between us and God. It can't be obtained through someone else unless that someone else is the great and only mediator, Jesus Christ. And it can't be taken away from us by men. We can absolutely be encouraged by that. If we are saved, that's, not, that's something that no one can take away. That is really a cause for gratefulness and celebration. So, the worshiper brings the offering. Then for the offering, the offering on the altar that's burnt, that priest, remember we talked about this, we've been talking about, there are many pictures here. One of the pictures is the priest as a picture of Christ as a mediator. So that priest serves as a mediator, bringing that um, sacrifice to the altar. And that is the priest's divine duty. That is the, we talked about that earlier in Leviticus, that the divine duty of the priest is to present that offering to the Lord. The fat with the breast he shall bring. So again, some of the best parts of the meat, the brisket and the loin, those are for God. The fat is to be burned up. We'll talk about that in verse 31, the next verse, but the fat is burned. Leviticus 6.12 And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. So a reminder as we go through the offerings, there is no peace with God without the burnt offering. Without the atonement of Christ, there is no true peace with God. These pictures run throughout and we need to remember those. Then it says that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. So a wave offering. We've heard wave offerings before. We're going to talk about a wave offering and a heave offering. You know, I think a simple way to think about the wave offering is this is a very public show of gratitude for God. With the wave offering, they would, I, I don't know exactly how high they would lift it up, but they would hold the offering and they would move it left to right, wave it back and forth call attention to it and it's a very public reminder of why they're offering these sacrifices and i think what we have here is a is a picture of the the visible church being salt and light of calling attention to these things jesus said on the sermon on the mount in matthew 5:14 through 16 you are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we think about the sacrificial system, you know, in the middle of the wilderness, there's this altar. And they're burning animals. And the smoke is, I mean, the smoke would have to be billowing up. It would not be something that's quiet and hidden. And so at a, at a personal level, 
when they bring this offering. They're calling attention to that. They're calling attention to the fact that God is the reason for their sacrifice. And so we should ask ourselves, are we being salt and light? Are we being salt and light to those around us? If we act a certain way, if, if we are honorable, if we are just, if we are moral and ethical, do people know why? Do they just think, well, he's a nice guy, she's a nice lady? Or they, do they know the reason that we act that way? Do, do we know we do that, we act that way because God has changed us? Let's consider how we're being salt and light in the world. So then a portion of the sacrifice is presented to God and then released by God for the use of those involved in the sacrifice. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But that meat that's provided, the meat fed the families of the priests. That was part of God's provision for those in service to him. I think we all know or we, we recall that you know the, the, the Levites did not receive an inheritance in the land. Their, their service to God was their inheritance. And so we're talking about this part that was brought as the wave offering. And, and the wave offering is first mentioned at the consecration of Aaron and his sons. And so this, the instructions for this are given in Exodus 29. Where it says, The right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made of oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. So this is describing what's going to happen in in Leviticus chapter 8. This is the consecration of Aaron and his son. And at this ceremony, one loaf of each of the breads were burned. And this is the only time a, a wave offering is burned, is those breads and it and i think what that what was the picture there is showing the required and complete devotion of the priests god requires their complete devotion and as believers we're required we are called to be fully devoted to him so i mentioned this here an important note about the offering that the once the offering is consecrated to God, it belongs to God. It is no longer belongs to that person that brings it. The often the offering is given to God wholly, so he gets that entire animal, and he only requires a portion of it to be burned, and the rest is given back to the offerer and the priests as a gift from God. I think that's a beautiful picture and a good reminder that we serve a gracious God. We serve a generous God. We, d- we deserve nothing, and he provides for us amply. So verses 31 
through 34. And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. Also the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. So this first section, the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. So we just read the instructions in, in Exodus 29. The breast and the bread were to be waved before the Lord as part of the wave offering. Then the fat was burned. And other than the consecration of the priests and a normal peace offering, the breast of the animal and the bread from the priest offering was then available to be eaten by the priests. The right thigh was also given to the priest. We'll talk about that in a bit. Or we're talking about this here, sorry. So the, the, they received the right thigh. So the significance of the right thigh, what is, what is the picture here? So first, the word right. And then, you know, right throughout Scripture symbolizes honor and glory. So some examples that I'm sure most of us are familiar of familiar with Jacob he places his right hand on Ephraim's head symbolizing that he would receive Jacob's blessing and not Manasseh in the song of Moses Exodus 15 6 talks about God's glorious power your right hand O Lord has become glorious in power your right hand O Lord has dashed the enemy in pieces When the priests are consecrated, the blood is placed on their right foot, on their right hand, and on their right ear. We think of even in the world when a person sits at the right hand hand of a ruler. That is a seat of honor. And ultimately we know Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Specifically the right thigh. So in 1 Samuel, uh, when uh, Samuel has, God has told Samuel to anoint that Saul will become king of Israel. Uh, 1 Samuel 9, 23, verses 23 and 24. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the, por- the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you, since I, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. So as priests, this, this would have been Samuel's portion of the peace offering. And he honored Saul by giving it with him to eat and and probably sharing it with him. And so remember this is a I think it's good to re- remember remember here too this the the flesh that is given to the priest there's no it described it earlier how, how soon you had to eat it was whether it was a day or two or more um and there's but it wasn't restricted necessarily who could eat it. So the priest could eat it, they could bring it to their families. We don't know directly. They may have they may have shared a meal with the person that was providing the offering. 
So both the breast and the thigh were for the provision of the priest. So again, God provides for those who serve him. And I think sometimes we can lose, as we read through this and we see what gets brought to the priest and they get, they get the meat and they get the choice meat and they're People then probably didn't eat a lot of meat. And we think, that's a lot of meat for the priests. Well, there were a lot of priests. Now, this is, this is not the same time period, but I think to give sort of some, an idea of what it was like. In David's time, during the time of David, in First Chronicles 23.3, it says, Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above, and the number of individual males was 38,000. So again, this is not the same. This is during the time of David. But this is just the male priest 30 and above. 38,000. That's not the, the young men who are, some of them who are younger who might be doing other services. This is not, doesn't include their families. Um, so there are a large number of priests. And again, they didn't receive an inheritance of the land. They probably had small family gardens and things like that. But there was, there was a large number of priests to care for. So God is clear in that in the sacrificial system, priests who labored in the temple, and it, their, who, who did service in the temple, they got their food from the temple. Priests who served at the altar shared in the sacrificial offerings. First, First Corinthians nine, thirteen, and fourteen. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So. God carries through that Old Testament picture of, prov- of provision into the New Testament. He talks about it there in 1 Corinthians when he's addressing pastors, preachers, teachers. We're familiar with this one from Deuteronomy 25.4. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And Paul references that same verse from Deuteronomy in regards to New Testament servants in 1 Corinthians 9.9, 9, as well as 1 Timothy 5.18. And God provides for his people, not just pastors, preachers, teachers. Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. As believers, we need to have faith that when we serve God, that he will provide for us. This is not a health and wealth pitch. It says God will provide what we need. Will he provide all the things that we desire or would like? Not necessarily. But God will provide the things that we need for those who serve him. Then it says, you shall give to the priest as a heave offering. So again, the right thigh was a heave heave offering. 
And so the question is, well, what, is, what exactly is a heave offering? So again, it's a portion of the peace offering. This isn't a, this isn't a separate thing. In addition to it's a subset of the peace offering. It's that right thigh. Um, it's a consecrated portion. It's often done in conjunction with the wave offering. You often hear them together. And as I said before, whereas the wave would be sort of side to side, the heave, that word heave in there essentially means lifted up. And so that you'd have the piece and you would sort of hold it up. And so it, it was interesting reading about this, having a, having a Roman Catholic background. There's a part in the Roman Catholic service where they take what they would call the Eucharist or it's kind of the Lord's Supper and they, and they, they hold it up and it, Roman Catholicism is sort of almost carrying forward that Old Testament priesthood or, or you know, Judaism. Um, but I think that's that idea of lifting something up. And it's both an acknowledgement of, of an off, <clears throat> an acknowledgement of, excuse me, and an offering to the Lord. So it's acknowledging where that comes from and it's acknowledging that they are offering it to God. And again, both of these were set aside as a portion for the priests. So Aaron and his sons. Verses 33 through 36. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part. For the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I have taken from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, and I have given them to Aaron, the priests and his sons, from the children of Israel, by a statute forever. This is the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons, from the offerings made by fire to the Lord, on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. So for the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. Again, the, the flesh here falls under sort of the, the rules, the instructions of the peace offering outlined earlier in the chapter, the thanksgiving, the vow, or the voluntary. So, describing what must be eaten during specific time frames. But for, in, in, for here, for this passage, I think we want to understand who, who gets what. There's this diff differing pieces of, of meat and who, who gets what. So, the right thigh. So, it, this would go to the particular priest who offers the blood and the fat. So... In some cases, we, we say it goes to the priest, and that would be sort of generally the priests that are serving here. This, in this case, it would be the specific priest who, who was there and offers the blood and the fat. So they would receive the thigh. He would then burn that fat on the altar. Again, a reminder of burning that fat, a picture of putting our sin to death. And then he would sprinkle the blood around the bronze altar. 
And as a reminder, we've talked about that, a picture of the need for Christ's atoning death for the remission of our sins. A reminder to us that the only ones at peace with God are those separated from others by the blood of Christ. And Noel read this earlier in Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's that blood of Christ that brings us near, but also separates the elect from everyone else. And as I said earlier, the priest who received the right thigh, he could bring that home. That would be, he could share with his family. That was part of his provision, his pay, if you will. And then the breast of the wave offering. This belongs to Aaron and his sons, which would be another way of saying the priests. So to those doing the priestly service. And then the rest of the animal meat would go to the giver of the sacrifice for a fellowship feast. And again, if you remember the the time limits on when things had to be eaten, that had to be something probably planned that had to be eaten in fairly short order. So the peace offering is about peace with God. So what are some of these details telling us? What are, what are we to learn from some of these details? So the fact that the meal was eaten at all shows how God had made peace with the offerer and the priests. If you remember the burnt offering, other than the animal's hide, the entire animal was burned. And so the fact that anyone could receive any of the meat was a sign of peace with God. I think another thing it shows us is that God provides for those who do his service. The priests were receiving these, the thigh, the breast. That was part of their provision. And we should remember that God calls for a celebratory feast when we are at peace with him. A little later this afternoon, we're going to sit down and every week we have a feast. And it's a it's a joyful feast. So we should sh- we should celebrate that joyfully, the fact that we are at peace with God. But how is this bringing of a sacrifice and offering of this food How is that different than any other religion? Other religions bring things. Other religions have festivals and feasts. So when you think of pagan pagan offerings of food at that time, and still in some religions today, so they would call for an offerer to make an elaborate meal and feed it to their god or gods in the hope that it would bring them favor. And really what they're saying there is that it's that person's work that brings them favor. And if we think about Arminianism, it's really not that much different. Arminianism says that if a, a, that a person's work, meaning they have faith or they've accepted Christ, that is what saves them. 
when in truth God provides everything needed to have peace with him. And the peace offering is a good picture of that. God provides it all. And I mentioned this earlier, and to kind of dig into that a little bit more, the part that's offered to God is is burnt up. Okay, Christ's death makes that possible. But the food for the for the food for the feast is provided by God. So remember earlier we said the animals brought in, it's consecrated, and it becomes God's property because it would be very in our humanness, we, you know, if you're the offer, you can say, well, this is my cow. I raised it from a calf. I fed it. I've, you know, got it to the point where we can now make a meal out of it. So I'm providing the food for the feast. But once that's consecrated to God, it belongs to him and he's giving it back to you. Not to mention the fact that it was God's to begin with. Everything comes from God. He doesn't need our offering. God has cattle on a thousand hills. Isaiah one eleven, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. So what does God desire of us? He tells us in Hosea 6.6, 6, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So let's remember that God provides. And remembering that God provides should produce gratitude. And let's consider what God delights in. Mercy and the knowledge of him. And considering that and remembering that produces obedience. Verse 35, the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons. So the King James Version says the portion of the anointing. So again, this is pointing back to um, the consecration of Aaron and his sons as priests. That's the first time this is done. We've talked read some of that earlier um it's outlined in the instructions for it are outlined in exodus 29 and then the narrative of it is in chapter 8 so i think the fact that it says the consecrated portions for aaron and his sons this is really important i think we need to we really need to pause here and consider this because this is a big deal what does it mean that aaron and his sons get the consecrated portion I think we need to think about a few questions. What does the peace offering represent? Who benefits from the peace offering? Who are the priests? What are the, who are the peace? Excuse me. Who are the priests a picture of? And what does this paint a picture of? So first, what does the peace offering represent? Well, Christ, we know that Christ is the peace offering. And for the elect, he's the peace offering unto salvation. But also for the whole world. Not that he saves every person. Not that that every person is chosen unto salvation. 
but he puts Christ doesn't just save people. He puts sin to death. And we know that constrained sin produces real blessing. Along those lines, who, who benefits from the peace offering? Well, here we know it's the priests. They're receiving that choice meat. And the offerer benefits from the peace offering. And we know that the offerer may well not be a true believer. In, 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 uh, in the Old Testament. And so, well, what are, the, what are the priests a picture of? Well, Peter tells us that they're a picture of the elect. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So what's the picture that God is giving us here? So the worshiper, the world, if you will, who may or may not be a believer, they get a temporal blessing. They have a feast. That's a real blessing. A just society blesses everyone. Non-believers, believers. If a society is just, that blesses everyone. But the priests, the elect, the believers, that's us those who are, are believers here, they receive a special blessing. Like it's talked about in Exodus 29 and Leviticus 8, it, it's about making the elect a consec consecrated and anointed priesthood, which means we have true and lasting peace with God. That means we have salvation. That means we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That enables us to be a living sacrifice. Not by our own strength. But by the strength of the Holy Spirit. So that we can perform the divine service that he calls us to. And the priests, they are reminded of that at the peace offering. Every time a peace offering is brought in, they're reminded of that picture. And we should be too. We have to ask ourselves, are we celebrating our peace with God? Are we celebrating our peace with God? We should be. That should be something that we celebrate. Verse 36. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. So God is reinforcing here, again, that those who serve God are provided for. And that is still true today. God provides benefits for those who serve him. Again, this isn't health and wealth. God provides benefits for those who serve him. And the peace offering is a picture of that. And this last part here, it's, it's a phrase I think sometimes we take for granted because we see it so often, especially in the, in the Old Testament. By a statute forever throughout their generations. So that, that, that meaning of that phrase just essentially means as far as the eye can see. One of the things that we should understand from this is the fact that God, God said this would be a statute 
forever throughout their generations. And then God shut down the Levitical priesthood. That is a big deal. (laughs) He basically said the Levitical priesthood is done. 70 AD, completely done. And in his providential mercy, he replaced it with a royal priesthood. Are we celebrating the fact that we are part of a royal priesthood? Because we should be. The peace offering, you you see what happens at the end of the peace offering. It's a celebration. It's a feast. And God is saying, I'm at peace with you or you are at peace with me. You should celebrate. Verses 37 and 38. This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations, and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day when he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. So, just to be clear, this, this is a summary of chapters 1 through 7, is what he's in verse 37. He's going through all, he's basically, Moses is kind of writing, you know, we get, learn how to write a paper, you know, you tell them what you're going to say, say it, and then tell them what you said. Moses is telling them what they said. He's saying, this is the summary of these first seven chapters. These are all the things that we talked about. And it's describing all, all those major offerings that we've been talking about for several weeks. Um, what is required of the offerer and of the priests. And it's all the details of the, the who, what, when, where, how, and why. So I think one thing to remember that's important for us to, to remind ourselves is that, that we are the audience here. Remember, Christ's coming was not plan B. God the Father and God the Son conspired before the foundation of the earth. So God is not giving these instructions to the Levitical priesthood and then has to figure something out when when it doesn't work out. God knows what's happening. And so these instructions, these pictures, they're just as much for us as they were for the people then. So what should we remember? I think some of the important things to remember from this section is that God determines and prescribes how we should worship him, not us. God decides. He desc- I think another thing to think about through here is when God describes worship, he says it's either acceptable or it's abominable. Not in between, not I'd rather you not do that or I don't like that as much as this other thing. He says it's acceptable or it's abominable. And we should take note of that. And that's why I think the regulative principle of worship is so important. You know, the regulative regulative principle of worship means that the corporate worship of God is founded upon specific direction in Scripture. So this is what it says in Scripture. This is how we can worship him. Not, well, if it doesn't say anything, then we have leeway. We can, we can do what we want. We're to worship God the way that he tells us to. 
So as we finish this section on the offerings, and in particular the peace offering, let's remember the picture God gives us. Christ is the peace offering. That peace offering is made possible by the burnt offering, by Christ's atoning death. We cannot have the peace offering without the burnt offering. We can't have peace with God without Christ's atoning death. And it's the peace and blessing he brings to the world by constraining sin. The peace and unfathomable blessing he brings to his elect. Again, we read this earlier, Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is, the law of, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. I mean, Noel read that earlier, talked about the Gentiles being brought in. That's us. That is us. And we have to remember that he, he is a good and gracious God. He provides a feast. And he says, come and celebrate my blessings. Let me give you some applications. First, do you have true peace with God? For the unbelievers here, do you see and enjoy God's blessings? Do you agree with His statutes and His commands? Many of the children here grow up, are living in, in homes where you're benefiting from the blessings of peace with God. And you may even in principle agree with many a thing many of the things that your parents are teaching you. But do you have peace with God? True peace with God. Cry out to God. Second Corinthians two Second uh, Corinthians six, sorry, verse two. In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is, is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We don't have true peace with God until Christ is the burnt sacrifice and not us. Another application. We cannot delegate our prayers and offerings to the Lord. We have to bring it, as it says, with our own hands. Our peace with God is between us and God alone. I gave some examples earlier. I mean, here's another one. How often have we asked someone to pray for something in our lives, in our families, and we're not really we might be praying for it, but we're not really praying for it that much. Let's consider that, that we can't delegate our service and our worship to God. 
context application. We are held accountable, accountable individually for how we worship God. Remember, God in the in this he he said, "Give the instructions basically to the people, to the congregation." We can't blame it on our church, on our elders, on our uh, denomination. God holds us responsible individually for how we worship him. Next application. God provides for those who serve him. We have a good a generous, a gracious, a faithful God. And if we serve him, if we trust in him, he provides for us. Next application. We serve God because he saved us. He didn't save us because we serve him. Remember, God gave the sacrifice back to the offerer and to the priest as a gift. It was his. We serve him out of, because one, because he changes our will and out of gratitude. We don't serve him to earn something. Next one, God's worship is commanded, not requested. He doesn't beg for our worship. He doesn't ask for it. He commands it. And it's to be given as he prescribed it, not how we would like it. Last application. Do we celebrate the peace offering? Are we grateful and joyful that God has made peace with us? We see here that he shows us that we should, we should joyfully celebrate. So let us celebrate a gracious God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are a generous God, that you are a gracious God. As we look at the peace offering, we, we thank you that you've made a way to yourself. You've made a way for us to make peace with you when we do not deserve it. Lord, we pray that we would, for those whom you've saved, Lord, we pray that we would live lives of gratefulness that we would celebrate our peace with you that we would be salt and light to others that we would have them know why we have this joy why we have this assurance and we pray that we would we would ponder these words that we would focus on your graciousness your goodness our need to be obedient to you. 
but the blessing that you give us to celebrate in your peace. We ask it in your son's name. Amen.